Babe, I'm leaving. I must. Goodbye, Nick. Uh, uh, okay, bye. Why did he go? He just left me here. I don't understand. <laughs> I I was gonna sing more of Babe, and then I was like, wait. But then you just Babe, I'm leaving. I should just leave. I'm out. I can't believe that. Uh, welcome in, everyone, to another episode of Totem Talks. This is, sure in fact, been. season five, episode ten. How right. are we feeling about that? I'm feeling great about it. Feeling yeah, great. We're making progress through the season. Things are going well. We've got, you know, a lot of changes coming up for the next season that I think, you know, like it makes me excited to do this season because it's going to be the last one before some some things are very different. But before also we shake it up, come. exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting time on the horizon, and uh, exactly, you know, before that we have our our kind of victory lap. I don't know, I don't know what it is, like a like a swan song kind of thing. Sure, uh, of of the pod, which is which is nice. Uh, is. We have a good episode today in terms of that we listened to episodes that we listen to albums. Did listen to many episodes. <laughs> we listen to albums today. Uh, You're right. Yeah, uh, fun fact for the non-live audience, which, by the way, if you're not live, what are you doing? We've been very consistent. I mean, I get it, because we have not, because <laughs> we've had so many other things get in the way. It's literally wild how wide open our Thursdays were. Like, when Until we were recording we this, it was every Thursday we're in. And then the second mm-hmm. we started doing it live, it was like... Well, every single Thursday forever, you're busy. Um, you're you're booked and you're yep. doing all these crazy things. By the way, if uh, you're not part of our video group, uh, you should be reading, or I should tell you to come on out to Parks Casino on September 29th. Right. If you are uh, listening to this somehow, I I don't I don't know. I if was going to say I don't then. think it's possible for this to be heard before that date. If I'm well, going to be honest with you, no, because we're this is well next week is episode Maybe. nine. From where oh, we're recording, it? so might yeah. Be two days oh, we have then. no bank, so this is coming out the Tuesday before. Oh, excellent! This should be coming out on the twenty seventh, if my math is right. So two days from now, coming out to Parks Casino yes. uh, to support Nick and I and our band Low Totem uh, as we right. compete to be the MGK House Band, uh, which right. is that would be the local classic rock station for anyone who is not in the tri-state area of around Philadelphia. Yes, and for anybody who isn't quite sure what that means. It's like a nice, solid step up for for our band uh, in terms Definitely. of notoriety and consistency and all that fun stuff. Uh, yes. So would be super cool to uh, to see any and all of you out there. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> it is also uh, Keith's anniversary, Nick, just so you're aware. That's, I'm uh, excited he, for that as well. Yeah. But yeah, so we have three artists today. Uh, Nick, would you like to maybe, just maybe, tell the people who they are? I would love to. So we're starting out uh, with Sticks, and then we're going to do the Dave Clark Five and finish things out with Matt Carney. So, yeah. as per usual, very all over the place. <laughs> you know, nice and consistent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but without further ado, I will get us started with, with Sticks. sticks. Uh, so. Styx is an American rock band from Chicago that formed in 1972 and uh, is best known for melding the hard rock guitar with, you know, a bunch of other stuff, as as we will, I'm sure, discuss. 
Uh, and so their years active are a bit of a hodgepodge. 1972 to 1984, six years off. Then 1990 to 1991, four years off. 1995, all the way through the present day. So they, like many other classic rock acts, in 1991 were like, wait, Pat and Nick are going to be born soon. Let's give them their due. Let's That's give them right. a break. 1992, we're off, and then they took a couple years for us to become toddlers, and right. then reformed and got back together. Really, really nice of them. <clears throat> Honestly, couldn't was, have done it without it? them. Uh, and the three albums for Sticks that we chose to cover uh, were Sticks, the eponymous debut. Thank you Love so it. much. Uh, and that came out in 1972. We followed that up with Paradise Theater from 1981, and then Crash of the Crown from 2021. Yes, indeed. Which, gonna be honest, a little surprised that Styx was making music in 2021. Just wasn't uh, fully expecting it. Sure. I remember when they came out with their Coverers album. Big sure. Bang Theory in like 2005-ish. Like I re- definitely remember that yeah. um, and having that record, but I didn't think they'd come out with original music for a while. So I think there was a, there was kind of a gap there where they weren't doing anything new original. Sure. And then they changed their minds. <laughs> that That is definitely the case. <laughs> uh, so Nick, why don't you get us started with Sticks? All right. I had a feeling you would have me do that. Um, so here's a few things. One... As a small lad, Styx was my first ever favorite band. Wow. Uh, I was obsessed with their their greatest hits album. Listened to it over and over and over again. Uh, none of those songs are on here. Not uh, even. You're not going to get any of the big Styx hits. Actually, not until their second record, because their second record does have Lady on it. Which, um, I just want to throw out there, is called Styx 2. I, they're very, yeah, which, very consistent in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Uh, but one thing that I did know about Sticks, even though I've never listened to their first record, uh, is that they were widely considered to be a little bit more progressive in their earlier music. Uh, and they sort of kind of were. Uh, the first side is that 13-minute epic movement for the common man, it's got some, you know, it's got very four very distinct movements that you can definitely hear what's going on there, including Fanfare for the Common Man, pulled from Aaron Copeland, um, plus some, you know, original stuff that they'd written on either side of it. Uh, and it was very, very interesting. I liked it. It was definitely like a certain type of progressive music. It felt like the movements were distinct, um, but it was also like a very heavy helping of that JY harder edged guitar. Um, that is very synonymous with the stick sound throughout their popular years as well. Um, and the other thing I wasn't expecting related to JY was like so many James Young vocals on this first record, uh, and not nearly as many Dennis DeYoungs as you might expect. Um, but overall, it is a good record. James Young can sing; he can definitely sing, as can several people in this band, which I'm sure we'll get to as we go through. Um. But it, it sort of, I guess it makes sense that a band like that starts here. I can hear how this music is definitely not fully formed identity of what the band will become, but like it's getting there. It's like they're figuring out their identity and their aspects of it are already shining through. Sure. First and foremost, it's so jarring to hear you say James Young because one of my good friends is named James Young. Ah, so yeah. when you just keep saying like, James Young, singer, blah, blah, I'm like, well. What's happening? 
Even though I yeah, know no. and I'm reading along with you. Yes. Uh, so, you know what was funny, Nick, for me? Go ahead. You and I, both on and off air, off uh, episode yesterday, or last couple weeks ago when we recorded mm-hmm. the last episode, had a nice, long conversation about Prague. We did. And then the first album of the first act of the next episode is Prague. And I was like, well... I, I mean, like... I we think it's a stretch it. to call it Prague. If I'm I know, honest. I know. <laughs> uh, according to the Wikipedia genre, it's progressive rock. However, it's, yeah, a it's hard rock. It's it's hard rock. It's a hard rock sound. They just it's a hard rock sound with long tracks. With, uh, right, with, with long, one long with track, long basically. Track, yeah. Um, I will say, you get much less for me of the signature sticks sound with like the mixed in crazy th- synthesizer sounds and really like atmospheric you know stuff mm-hmm. that you would expect from later sticks songs uh but i enjoyed it i enjoyed it uh james young is a good singer he doesn't quite have the signature voice of dennis DeYoung. whether yeah. you like or dislike dennis DeYoung's singing i don't i don't know i personally enjoy it but, He's very good. Yeah, it's very good. But Honestly, it's also I think super distinct, and that's the it is. The and key. the thing about JY, like his voice has a place, and obviously Tommy Shaw is not yet with the group. But I think when it comes down to it, like Dennis Young and Tommy Shaw are the two definitive stick singers for me, yeah. and then James Young also, like on occasion, chips in. Yeah, I would, uh, I would agree with you, and I would understand where you're coming from there. Uh, but yeah, I, I did definitively enjoy it. Um, I didn't get the feeling. Uh, listening to this, so uh, I had to listen to this on a YouTube video. I wasn't sure if you did as well. Uh, no. Oh, it was no, on I, Apple I, Music? No, it's not on a Apple sponsor? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't on uh, Spotify, and also not a sponsor. Weird. Um, or I might have just missed it. I don't know, but I sure. also don't care, because I did listen to it. and that's You heard it, so whatever. Uh, but what I was going to say was listening to it as one video, I never picked up until I read my until I read after the new Wikipedia, mm-hmm. that it was supposed to be one song. Yeah, like it sure. sounded super different. Like it sounded uh, each individual movement was just a very different song. I agree. So that will be uh, that will be it for that, and I will take us into Paradise Theater, which this is a much more sticks sounding mm-hmm. album. Oh yeah, right off the bat, and this is. A very interesting album to me. Uh, so this is a concept album, right? Which I'm always a fan of. I enjoy, of course. And this is—it's basically a concept album about the the fictional account of uh, the Paradise Theater in Chicago from its opening in 1928 to its closing in 1958, mm-hmm. and. It is really interesting to listen to with that concept, with that context right. in your mind. The entire journey of the of the the theater from beginning to end, and you also are getting a ton of Dennis DeYoung. Like at this point, you're about nine years after the first album. Dennis DeYoung is singing most of the tracks. Tommy Shaw is also should. in here, mm-hmm. and. It's just such a signature stick sound, even though you're not really, again, getting a ton of sticks hits because sticks is such a, a band with so many albums. They're they're well spread out. Over yeah, the they're very I'll well say. spread out. Um, 
but I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it all the mm-hmm. way through. I enjoyed both the concept and the execution of the concept, as well as the individual songs of the concept. Yep. Okay. Um, so here's my thing. So Sticks at this point is like they're an arena rock, stadium rock type of group. Yeah. Um, but it's almost like here when they do that sound where I actually hear a little bit more of their progressive roots, uh, almost in like themes and motifs that recur throughout a record and like some more intricate parts in the instrumentals uh, than what they did on the first record, which like you said, just felt like four songs kind of mashed into one instead of like an actual prog epic. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's very good. And I think, like, I knew th- three of the singles from this one, obviously. Too Much Time on My Hands, The Best of Times, and Snowblind were the songs from this record that I knew and loved already. Um, and that remained the same. Like, they're all great songs. Uh, definitely a big fan. Uh, but I really didn't think that the other songs showed any drop-off in in quality. I, I thought that the whole album, was, like, from beginning to end, was really good. They're, like that non-single songs could have been singles and had they been chosen to be released instead i think would have ended up being hits um now there's one thing that i don't want to f- neglect here which is one of those songs that i mentioned which is snowblind yeah uh which probably possibly my favorite one on the record I'm a, I'm a big fan it's one of my favorite stick songs um but it's about uh cocaine addiction and all that stuff and there's one line in the song which you know the it's totally innocuous. It's, it says, I try so hard to make it so. That was one of those hardcore 80s satanic panic lines where people were trying to play the record backwards, uh, and they were alleging that it said, and I quote, Satan moves through our voices, which it absolutely does not at all, even a little bit. Truly <laughs> wild. Yeah. I mean, I just wanted to note because... You know, there there are a few of those songs that infamously a bunch of idiotic weirdos were like, these are messages from Satan if you play the record backwards and then you, like, just pretend that a bunch of is, is words, then you can see that it's demonic. Um, it is definitely not, though. So Yeah, no, it's definitely <laughs> not. It's definitely not. Uh, All right, uh, that's enough of that. I just needed to make sure that we covered that Styx is one of the bands that was affected by that for that particular song. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, and we're going to move on to Crash of the Crown. Um, and there are a lot of personnel changes. We still have Tommy Shaw and JY. Like, their two guitars, I think, are you know one of the most important sounds of what Styx is. Um, and you still have Chuck Pinozo on bass, who's been there since the beginning. Unfortunately, his brother John has died. Uh, John died in the 90s due to some complications from drinking cirrhosis of the liver. Uh, and time. Dennis Young is, yeah, and Dennis Young is long since gone from the group uh, and has been replaced by Lawrence Gowan, who is very talented, uh, a very good player as well, uh, and singer. And this album is pretty much uh, right on point as far as sticks goes, like in terms of sound. Like, it's 2021, but if you told me that this album came out, like, in 1985, I would have been like, yeah, that's pretty much what Sticks was supposed to sound like 25, 30, 40, 35 years before it actually came out. Um, and, you know, it doesn't feel phoned in. I think musically it doesn't feel phoned in at all. Uh, the issue that I have with this record is that 
it's, it's a very similar issue that we've had with a lot of these records from a certain era when they come. It's just so corny. The lyrics are so corny. It was like actively kind of like grinning or snickering at what they were saying like several times throughout the record. But musically, I think it was pretty much basically right on par with what they normally are. Whether you want to take that as a positive, that they still sound good and not phoned in, or if you want to take it as a negative, that after all these decades, they haven't really changed what they do, that is what it is. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> Here I come. Here I'm, I'm going to be in. I'm going to say words now. Yeah, go ahead. Because I agree with a lot of what you're saying. Um, <laughs> there are a few categories of band from this era that release music in the 2010s, 2020 era. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is, A, the band that just is out of gas. And it's very clear they're out of gas, and we're just like, oof. A big oof to what you're doing. Correct. Uh, There's the band who has just absolutely still got it, and... Mm -hmm are coming out with fresh, vibrant takes or songs, and we're pleasantly surprised. We've had a few like that. And Mm -hmm. then there's the band who is just the same band that they were in the 80s or 70s or whatever, and it Uh feels like there was no growth over 30 years. Yeah. And that is exactly where Styx fits here. Mm -hmm. Um, As you you mentioned, that it felt like it could have come out in the 80s, Absolutely could have. Now, from a technical standpoint, musically sounds great. Yeah, they're very good. Yeah, no the, one could ever deny that they're they're very talented. Yeah, the harmonies are really great. Uh, each individual instrument's really nice. Like uh, Gowan is is a really good cover. Like Lawrence Gowan is a really good vocal comp to Dennis DeYoung in terms of like fitting For sure. that spot. Yeah, and it works very well live too. I will say. I yeah. mean, it's been over a decade, but. You know, like but 15 still. years ago, I saw them with him. Um, but yeah, the lyrics are so corny. Like, just yeah, they're not so good. <laughs> cheesy and not loving it. Yeah. Uh, an interesting tidbit about this, for better or worse, um, and maybe, maybe he was smart uh, based on our our critiques. This is right. the first album, the first Sticks album since uh, Sticks Two. Right. To not feature any songwriting from JY. Go figure. Which maybe he's maybe yeah. he was just like, Yeah, no, take my name off this, please. Right. Uh uh-huh, which I get. I would understand. Look, we get it. We get it here. <laughs> uh but yeah, that's that's all I've got as well. Uh it's better than a lot of other of the classic rock scene doing like we've had some Yeah, there bad... are worse things to have than this. Yeah. Like at least they can still play. Like we had Van Halen who at that point like vocally were just shot and then also the lyrics were super cheesy so like at least yeah. it's only half mm-hmm. half of that uh, yeah, but let's uh, let's grade them okay um i think cultural impact is definitely a good score for this group uh they're a I very well known name they've had agree. countless hits um i would also argue the fact that the it depends on where you look, but I've seen as many as like 54 million in total sales. That with consistent yeah. consistent releases, with popularity, with hits. Uh, I think this band is definitely, I would think of Sticks a, a right around a seven-ish. Sure. Um, I know I read, <clears throat> I read something. Yeah. Sticks had sold over 20 million records for A&M 
between 1976 and 1984. Sure, yeah, that so doesn't surprise me So eight years, 20 million records. Right. And then they've also been around before and after that. So that's exactly. just an interesting baseline. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm willing to go right at a seven if you're willing to go there and move on. I am comfortable being at a seven for Sticks. I think they have more than earned that. Sure. Uh, Breadth of Work, they have 17 studio albums, so we're going to start them off at a 6.1 because we've mathematically determined that to be the case. Yeah. Uh, And then they definitely are being raised up by their sales um, because they have many multi-platinum albums, several regular platinum, several gold, several platinums in Canada, silvers and golds in the UK, Germany, etc. Um. And then it, when it comes to quality, I would be willing to give them a little bit of a bump here as well. Um, despite the last album, I think they still are, are you know, because the last album was, wasn't bad. The last album would just be the, the kind of record I sat and just kind of did nothing with. Sure. Um, so I think 6.1, I think with sales, with 50 million in sales, we're probably pushing them to at least like a 7 uh, from that 6.1. Yeah, well, you think because you go... Uh, for fifty million, give them a six point six because they get a point five. Right. Plus, they have over the American golds and over the yeah, you know, so over all sorts of thresholds. So they would start at a seven, and then we determine we each get. And I would give them like point two, point three on top of that, if if you would too. Yeah, I would also give them about a point two, so that would bring them to a seven point four. Let's do it. Uh, An instrumental talent. Look, I don't think we're moving too far backwards or anything like. There, you got multiple talented singers. You got two yeah. really strong guitarists in JY and Tommy Shaw. Most of the Sticks catalog, I'm going to count D Young as your keyboard slash synth player. He's excellent. Yeah. Um, I I I don't know if you could talk me out of the sevens again for a band this good. Um, I would agree. I would be lower. I would be more like a seven. I think. Uh, and the main reason for that is you're bringing in a bunch of talented musicians. And the well-known core of the band is like mm-hmm. the '80s sticks, like late '70s. Well, I'd say 80s. late '70s, yeah. Yeah, late '70s, early '80s sticks. But there is like a huge list of members, and when you True, have that revolving does, door, yeah. it's it's just a little bit of a of a of a quality dip for me personally. Like I'm I all about hearing be... the sound of individual people yeah. grow through the years. Okay, I but think for, there needs it's, to be like it's a seven point two between here, like though. a seven four and like a seven one for me. Okay, I would like to to leave them at a seven two. That's fine. That's what what would make me happy. Uh, songwriting, look, I think they do enough. Uh, the the like stadium sound is never going to be the one that I run to. Like as an adult, yeah. Um, as much as I loved that when I was was younger, but I think they definitely do enough that you can't discount their ability to write, their ability to incorporate. Um, ideas that work their way through an entire record, their ability to make each individual song interesting. Um, I, I do think that their writing is definitely above average here. I would agree. Um, it's it's above average, but not astronomical to me. Correct. Uh, it's it's good consistently, but there are moments mm-hmm. of like a little bit of a repetitiveness to them. Mm-hmm. I specifically I I. I couldn't write it down because I wasn't a I wasn't at a place where I could write, and by the time I was at a place, I completely forgot, and I was not listening <laughs> of to a full album again. Right. There was a song in Paradise Theater. Right. That they played a guitar riff like three or four times, 
And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's Renegade. Oh, uh, okay. So, like, they definitely were sure. moments of, like, of, like, a moment where I was like, oh, that's another that stick That sounds song. something very similar to what they already do. So yeah. they definitely did that a little bit. I mean, and don't get me wrong. Some of the most famous, you know, writers and composers of all time do that. So Looking it's not like, I'm, it's not like, <laughs> it's not like take all their points away, but it's yeah. definitely one of those things that drops them a little bit for me. I'd sure. be fine being in like high fives, low sixes. That's exactly what I was going to say. And for that, I will just give them a six and move on yeah. to poetic talent. Look, the last album was not good. No. But um, before that, they did not give you any reason for pause. I think like through the... The majority of their yeah, career, we listen to. You're correct. But. The records, like the the parts of Sticks' career that people know, is mostly just fine lyrically. Like you don't really have anything. That's I too would bad. I would posit a slight argument that maybe Mr. Roboto is not. Oh just yeah, fine. that's terrible. I mean, I'm thinking, I'm thinking like you know, th- through the 70s. Yeah, I am not thinking about the album that was so bad they had to take seven years off. Just throwing out, I. It's arguably their most famous song their, to the common folk. It's their absolute jump the shark moment. Oh, of course it is. But it's also, I mean, you know, it's the song that a but lot you know, of people, oh, Sticks, Mr. Roboto. And I'm sure every Sticks fan yeah. just wants to jump off a bridge whenever you say I'm, that. I can only imagine. I've never listened to the album that they ended up releasing um, afterwards, but the, the single on it was Show Me The Way, which is a pretty good song. And yeah. the one that came out in 99, Brave New World, was actually pretty good. But but anyway, yeah. besides the point. I mean, listen, I'm a fan. I'm a Styx fan. Uh, we do we do a Styx song. We have done multiple Styx songs. Yeah. We have Look. desperately tried to make a Styx song happen for years that just has never come together. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the I above. would be fine at the end of the day. Like my answer for this would be maybe there were some good moments earlier in their career. The last album was full of bad moments. I wouldn't be very far from five here. No, I would I would probably be around a five. I would be maybe like a five yeah. one. Because I think they're above average. I do I do. There's definitely stuff in there that was worthwhile. Yeah, and I'm not gonna drop the multiple points just for how cheesy corny the yeah. last album was. Of course. So a All five right. one. Now and that leads us to X Factor, and there are two things to discuss here. I think one being the unfortunate early passing of John Pinozo on the drums. Uh, sure. and the other being like what was like a pretty big claim in the in the industry where Styx was said to be the first band to have four consecutive triple yeah. platinum albums but it turns out that like when you really look at the numbers closely they were the first band ever to release four consecutive multi-platinum albums where three of them were more than just double platinum because at the time when they checked it one of them was actually only double platinum still and three of them were triple They've all since certified as triple. It's it's a feat. It's it's it worthwhile to have all is. those albums in a row being multi platinum over and over. And like at the time, RIAA only gave out golds and platinums. So like all albums that come out before, um, I'm not even sure when they switched it over. But in the 70s, 60s, all those things like that's been kind of backlogged and figured out. Okay, well, how many of these did we actually sell? Now that was just a platinum record, but now right. it's a 20 times platinum record. You know, it's double done. <laughs> Um, so that's where a lot of the confusion with like exact numbers of sales for older records comes from too. Yeah, I would agree. But anyway, uh, I don't know. I'd give them like a half a point or something. 
Let's do it. A full point five. I love it. And then let's move on to the Dave Clark Five. The Dave Clark Five, also known as the DC Five, uh, were an ink which is just very different because whatever. I was gonna say who who calls them that? Uh, Wikipedia does. <clears throat> Fascinating. I'm sure there's probably six or seven people in the world that call them that. Uh, but they were an English rock and roll band formed in 1958 in Tottenham, London. And they were active from 1958 to 1970. And then they just called it, man. They were just like, that's it. Yeah. We're, we're done. We did our bit and we are moving on. When you know, you know. And uh, the three albums that we covered, which, let me tell you, their discography is a little convoluted. It's a little painful to get through. It's there's a mixture of U.S. and U.K. releases yeah. and all sorts of stuff. Like it was different at, everywhere. It was it was a nightmare to choose these albums. Yes. Uh, so we started with 1964's "Glad All Over," and then we followed that, which was a U.S. release, and then Correct. we followed that up with the U.K. release "Catch Us If You Can" from 1965, and then we wrapped things up. Uh, with another song, with another album, and that if somebody loves you album was if somebody loves you, and that came out in 1970, and uh, and Excellent. that's pretty much it. So I guess it's my turn. Your turn. Uh, I will get uh, I will get started. And here's the big thing about the Dave Clark Five. I knew of them as a uh, as I'm sure people have, around the world have heard of them as you do. And I'd heard a slight smattering, but mm -hmm. I hadn't heard a ton. It is typical. Is that, I mean, that's what it, it that's, yeah, it's typical. It's, if I told you the year this album came out, and I told, I would told you that, you know, they are doing like pop rock from the 1960s, mm -hmm. you get a sound in your head. And I'm, sh I'm sure if I gave you a million artists, they would average out to be the Dave Clark Five. They're, they have decent harmony happening. There's like a fun energy. The album is 24 minutes long. It's very quick. Mm -hmm. There's a, a mix, again, as always, of originals mixed with covers. And they're like kind of all over the place between like pop, doo-wop, harmony, a little bit of like fun almost like R&B but not really um for like they do a cover of Do You Love Me um mm -hmm. it's not bad it's really enjoyable to listen to i just sit here and i'm like w so where where is the niche for the Dave Clark 5 like where are you carving your name into the tree of the world of music <laughs> it just feels like it is okay. standard stuff sure and I think that could very well be hindsight making it feel that way, too. Maybe. Because I don't think it felt that way at the time. Sure. Because, I mean, look, when this came out, Dave Clark Five and the Beatles were like the two competing British invasion acts for the popularity contest in the United States. And the biggest comparison you can make to Glad All Over is probably Please Please Me by the Beatles. Their first record, Dave Clark's first record, as you mentioned with the different styles that they went for, with some popular covers that were thrown in, it's very much adjacent to everything that the Beatles were doing at the beginning of their career. And it's done well. It's done well. In hindsight, 
every other band after also tried to capture this energy. So sure, um, maybe it, it feels like a little unoriginal or uninspired or kind of lost in the mix in hindsight. But in 1964, this definitely would have been all the rage. Oh, and it was. I mean, Glad All Over sold a million copies. It's definitely of the time period. I'm not... For sure. Knocking it at all. I mean, comparing it to yeah. Please Please Me is a fitting comparison, especially with, like, the, the Do You Love Me cover. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. I don't know. I maybe Maybe it is just, like, what happened afterwards for those two individual sure. bands that kind of colors your opinion of them. Yeah. But. Yeah, it could be. Um, and the only thing I'll say, like, as far as the covers go, I think their cover of Do You Love Me is really good. I think their cover of Stay is serviceable. I also think it's my least favorite version of the song. Like, my second favorite version would be the original by Maurice Williams and the Zodiacs, and my first favorite version is definitively Jackson Brown. Uh, yeah. So... It's like an okay-ish version of that song that everyone's heard a million times. Um, and then I'll just move on to Catch Us If You Can. Uh, and the year is 1965, and this one's a, a UK release. Uh, and I'm going to tell you, uh, almost nothing has changed. <laughs> Again, it's it's a diverse group of pop rock songs. Again, I would comp this album to Please Please Me, like not even moving past to where the Beatles would have been at this point in 65. It still comps very nicely alongside their earliest work. Um, And I think anyone who enjoys that type of music would absolutely enjoy this record. Um, If you liked the first one, the second one is more of the same. You're going to get everything you liked about the first record again but you're not really going to get too much that changes. Yeah, listen, I I agree. Um, And I think this, for me, would start to be where those two bands separate from each other. Um, I would argue that even during Please Please Me and, you know, especially moving forward into their later releases, as you're aware, the Beatles experimented a lot and, like, pushed... Exactly did the boundaries and i feel like the dave clark five almost didn't or didn't appear to where it just feels like they're content to make the music and do it well like they're not they're not bad they're they're enjoyable to listen to i enjoyed listening to uh spoiler alert all three dave clark five albums Mm -hmm. you know nothing nothing to me was bad to listen to but at the same time I'm I'm sitting here in that similar vein of like your name wasn't carved out in the same way that your your comps are carved out. Right. And you know, that just kind of is what it is. It's enjoyable music, it's enjoyable to listen to. Um it's you know, they're doing the thing where I'm enjoying their written music as much or more than any covers I'm hearing from them. Yeah. Which is always the big plus for bands that come out in this time period. It's, you know, there's nothing bad here. Mm -hmm. It just kind of exists. And it's it's something where, like, I'll enjoy it. I've enjoyed listening to it. I'm sure that, you know, I can listen to this album again and, like, have a good time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's kind of the best that I can can give it. And and I'll move on to uh, If Somebody Loves Please, yes. Uh, so If Somebody Loves You comes out uh, technically after the band had already broken up, about a few months 
after they broke up. And it's one thing was evident to me quickly, which I wasn't expecting. And that was like the the band sounded older, not like vastly older, but like all of the vocals sounded like the like the lead singer had aged, which was interesting because it's only been six years between right. 64 and 70. Um, so I wasn't expecting that level of age in the voice. Uh, again, not not terrible, but it was definitely noticeable, which, you know, for better or worse, it's just something that caught my ear. Uh, it, I, it's so interesting to me. I enjoyed this album probably a little more at times because stylistically there was some differences. This this album isn't compared to Please Please Me no. like the first two are. Uh, I would probably say that this album has far-reaching comparisons, which I'm sure you'll get into some specific comps. Yeah. Um, and I think I'm letting you have them because I think I know where you're going to go and I'm curious. And I don't want to take There are it. two places specifically, but yeah. Yeah, but I loved the music on this album. This is my favorite one. Yeah. I want to be clear. Yeah, I agree. And I'm very sad that I'm, you know, I, I, it kind of made my opinion of the first two albums even stronger because I was having that mm. opinion of like, well, where are you carving your name? It just kind of sounds like it is what it is. And then this album comes out and I'm like, wait. That's great. And then I'm like, oh, why is this your last album ever? You broke up. I'm sad. Of course. Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, exactly. This is their most creative album. This is the album that utilizes a lot of very interesting instrumentations. Uh, to me, this was the exact kind of growth that I was looking for a band like this to show. Yes. Um, because, and to keep up the same thing that we were saying all along, they've now listened to... Uh, rubber soul and on from the late Beatles discography sure. and, and like they're like okay we can pull in some of those baroque sounds we can pull in some of those larger scale instrumentations and like try to really experiment more and then they also heard a whole bunch of Motown records and they're like hey we should try to incorporate what Barry Gordy's doing over at Motown into our sound a little bit too um, and I think that combination of uh, you know here the the growth and experimentation over the Beatles career uh, and the best of what Motown had to offer come through very clearly in this record. And if you know anything about us or anything about music, like if you hear those two influences, you're doing something right. Uh, and I think they definitely were. Yeah. Uh, good. I, I'm glad we agree on this one. Uh, so yeah, let's grade them. Okay. So the Dave Clark five, uh, Definitely get some points on cultural impact. They are members of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, class of 2008. And my favorite thing about their induction to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is it's the only one I've ever seen where they weren't inducted by a fellow musician. Interesting. Uh, Tom Hanks. Tim Hanks uh, himself. The Dave Cl- yeah. He, yeah. I mean, America's sweetheart. Oh, oh man. Hold uh, on real quick. Tom Hanks. Yeah, go ahead. Did you see the new Elvis movie? I have not yet. Okay, so it's on HBO Max, not a sponsor. Yes. Uh, I recommend watching it for two reasons. Okay. Austin Butler does really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, sounds really good. I, I'm not 100% sure if it's him singing. I'm, I'm assuming it's him singing. It seems like it is. Uh, okay. If not, they're doing a wonderful job. I'll have to, yeah. I'll have to look into that. But sure. two, Tom Hanks being forced to do 
like a caricature induced Dutch accent <laughs> is hilarious. It okay. took me so far out of the movie immediately. Interesting. Yeah, I <laughs> now. Well, so Baz Luhrmann, now I know, uh, is like very stylistic. Like he's one of those people that like you can tell that it's a Baz Luhrmann sure. movie. Like he did yeah. like Moulin Rouge, and it's that same like whimsical nature, but it's like a mm-hmm. just the true story of Elvis or like a like a biopic. So like it's weird yeah. to have that be super whimsical. Like it's like a weird mix of Rocket Man meets Moulin Rouge, mm-hmm. but Tom Hanks is the narrator in that Dutch accent. <laughs> Highly yeah, recommend. Okay. Okay. Back to him anyway. inducting the Dave Clark Five into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, he inducted them into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's all. Uh, they also had seventeen top forty hits in the United States. That's a which lot. Which is uh, very significant. Yeah. Um, and they're highly influential. They were also, uh, after the Beatles, they were the second ever British act to be featured on uh, Ed Sullivan's shoe. So, uh, you know, they were very, very influential at the time. Until the Rolling Stones, like, really became a scene, it was Beatles and the Dave Clark Five were, were the two British invasion yes. acts kind of competing against each other for fame. So, Which... It's, even if you're not super familiar with the name, like... They were really huge. Yeah, they're time. very like, of the points. time. I'm not, you know. Yeah. They definitely are culturally impactful in their time period and mm-hmm. has have those the kind of far-reaching implications of, like, I'm trying to think, like, like, like a Vander Holyfield and Tyson. Sure. Like, you know one yeah. name more than the other. You kind of know the, you kind of know a Vander Holyfield's name if you're not a boxing fan for one reason. Yeah. And it was the fight with Tyson. (laughs) So, like, the Dave Clark Five, even if you don't know them for anything other than their fight with the Beatles, which the Beatles, Mm -hmm. you know. May have won. May have just slightly won. Yeah. All right. Well, how many points does that give? I I mean, I think it has to be, you know, over the average. You don't have 17 top 40 hits and go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You start with with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame floor. Right. And then you go a little bit up from there. But, I, I mean, they're not above average, probably. But yeah. not crazy because not crazy, but they have to be above. Yeah, but maybe like a five two. Really, I was think I would love a five and a half. I mean, think about how many acts like without recency bias factoring in have sure. seventeen top forty singles in the mainstream charts. Almost no one is that. I mean, like that's going to put them in a pretty elite group of people right. of of artists who have charted is that, that many not times. More of like an X factor situation though. Like as like because know. we just kind of did the, in terms of like, sustained success for sticks, we gave them like an X factor for that. Not necessarily. Yeah, but that was like about being the first band to have that number of multi platinum records consecutively. Was what what it was more so than than like. Well, if I'm at a five two, you're at a five five. Let's meet in the middle. All right, five three five, which is a five four. It's fine. Uh, and breadth of work. Like I, this is super hairy for me to try to figure out because there's so many weird. What are you talking about, Nick? Just literally count the albums. But uh, yeah, so I'm gonna say ten. I think ten is a fair representation of their between of the all of their albums and singles and and whoever was in on one side or the other. I'm just going with yeah. ten, and if it's wrong, sue me. We're starting them with. Oh, five I'm sorry. I want to be very clear. Please do not sue us. This is strictly yeah. an opinion piece. Correct. I was clearly uh, saying that in jest. 
Just making sure. Uh, but anyway, so they're starting with a five and a half. Yeah. And here's the thing. Also hard to find a lot on sales. sales but what I know for sure is that nine of their singles did, in fact, go gold. Okay, so they're immediately definitively safe yeah, uh, from points sure. being changed. And some of them have sold at least a million. I I believe gold singles might actually sell a million, um, as opposed to gold records, which only need 500,000. Uh, but is that um, U.S. So, gold? Yeah, they're U.S. Or gold US gold. That's what I'm referring to, yeah. Wonderbar. Okay, so... so I, I mean, I think that at least has to keep them where they're at, if not push a little bit. I would say probably with that many gold singles, it would go from like the 5-5 five, five to not a full 6 because there's not the 50 million, yeah. uh, but maybe but like a 5-8. 5-7, 5-8. 5-8 like five, eight. Five, eight. Five, eight it and is. Then we I'm going to push them up to a 6 for sure. Okay, so you're giving them a like a point two. Yeah, I would be between point two and point three again for this. Uh, I would also be willing to give them another point two, so up to a six. Six two, it is. Instrumental talent. Um, it is what it is here. Like, I think that you don't have again if we're making the comp to the Beatles all throughout. Like, you don't have the voices that the Beatles have. Not at they're all. good, but they're not. They're not Paul, George, and John. Um, and you also don't have, I think George was a better guitarist, uh, like definitely has made a bigger impact on the instrument. Paul's an excellent musician. Um, Ringo, one of the most creative drummers of all time, whether you like him or not. Um, not that Dave Clark is not a very good drummer, but I just don't hear much from this band that would put me above or below what the average group of musicians was doing at the time. Like I hear a five. I also hear a five and that means we give them a five. Very good. Songwriting. Again, like, here's what I'll say. For the time, they were right on, and at least they were writing most of their own songs and incorporating less covers. By their yeah. last album, I heard significant growth. So that's what so I was So I would be say. willing I to mean, be a little over. I understand that we, you know, talk of the time period and that we have to kind of look at it through that lens, but because we as a podcast are talking about multiple decades of work for multiple mm-hmm. artists we cannot really give them that in terms of like they didn't write all their songs there was covers on the first two albums and most yeah, of few. their albums early albums mm-hmm. so it's something to consider it takes away some points i do agree that we add a lot of points back for the last album i really enjoyed it it was very mm-hmm. creative um what number are you thinking for them, though? I would just like to be in the fives. In the fives. Uh, I think they do deserve to be above average at the end of the day because even, like, we're we're giving caveats. Like, their first two records were good songs. Yeah, for sure. They were just pop rock songs that sound like the year that they came out. Yeah. Like, they dated. were well-written, though. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm comfortable going, like, a 5-3. And that's great. Yeah. And then Poetic Town, I don't even need to, to be there, like... No. The lyrics on those songs. They're, and it's not like they had a later <laughs> renaissance where the lyrics also like kind of grew significantly. No, they're, it's a bit a bit cheesy, a bit, you know, corny at times, in, of very of the time period. And uh, I'm fine going to like mixing in the fact that they didn't write all of them because there's covers involved, like a 4-7. Mm-hmm. And that's perfect. Uh, and that brings us to X Factor. I mean, I mentioned a few things about them being the second British act on Ed Sullivan, about... Um, being the like only band I can find that was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame by someone who's not even a 
musician. I mean, I definitely think they get at least a point one <laughs> for the Tom Hanks of it all. Yeah, it definitely helps. I'll give him the point one. Yeah. Uh, and we can move on to Matt Carney. Round things out. Matthew William Carney is an American musician born in Eugene, Oregon, and based in Nashville, Tennessee. And he's been active all the way from 2003 until today. Wow. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. And the three albums wow, wow, that wow. we covered are Bullet, which came out in 2004. We followed that up with Young Love from 2011. And then January Flower, which was released, of course, in May of 2021. Mm-hmm. And Nick, I believe it is your turn to to start us off with Bullet. Sure. Uh, so first things first, I listened to Nothing Left to Lose first. Um, because it Good. was the first album on Apple Music, and I was like, all right, well, I don't have time to check. I'm in my driveway getting ready to go to work, and I just need to throw on an album, and this is the first one that comes up. Hopefully it's right. A, luckily, a very good thought process. Yeah, but luckily, when I found out that it was Bullet, I had already listened to most of the songs, because most of the songs are the same on the first two yes. records. Um with the exception of the title track from the second one, Nothing Left to Lose, which is one of Matt Carney's songs that I knew already and really liked. It's a really good song. Um, and, you know, a lot of the stuff is pretty solid here. A very solid approach to the singer-songwriter um, genre. But what I find most interesting, like my main p- point on this is going to be uh, his main area of difference with other singer-songwriters who kind of come across with this sound is that he has a lot of influence from hip-hop in his vocal delivery, in his style of writing and the way that he delivers it into the microphone. And I think that definitely kind of sets him apart as having a different sound where you're like, oh, he's the one of all these, you know, 10 singer-songwriter artists who have this sound going for them. He's the one who, like, specifically incorporates that influence into what he's doing. And I think he does it well with his voice. Yes, uh, so I completely agree. Uh, Here's the vibe that I get immediately from him. This is what Ed Sheeran thinks he sounds like. (laughs) And I don't mean that in in a bad way for Ed Sheeran, but like Ed Sheeran also, in a much softer way, incorporates like hip hop rhythms into where he'll like be like pop singing and then all of a sudden be like but very very quickly you know rhythmically mm-hmm. speaking or kind of speaking on a pitch and Matt Carney does that right. uh, but it is much more hip hop induced um almost to a fault at times like mm-hmm. almost where it's like for better or worse it definitely catches your ear which is what he's going for right mm-hmm It'll be like a nice lilty pop song, and he's got like a nice, pleasant voice, a pleasant vocal. Yeah, very. And then very it's easy. like, also oh, here we go, and I'm talking like this, and I'm rapping a little bit, and I'm like, whoa, ho, hey, ho, oh, oh my gosh, okay. Mm-hmm. It's definitely something that keeps you fully engaged because you can't really tune it out because of mm-hmm. how different it sounds. Yeah, like you know, pop songs at their most mediocre are able to just be zoned away sure like you just put them on and you're just like okay blink and then the album's over and you're like what just happened i like there's been a couple pop acts that we've done on this podcast where i've legitimately listened to their album like two or three times because i 
my brain just switches to passive listening mode. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I have to talk about that album. And I literally didn't yeah. listen to it. Sure. Didn't have that problem with Matt Carney because no. he very much keeps you engaged. What I thought was interesting, and I guess I just completely missed it, he is labeled as a contemporary Christian artist. Yeah, I noticed that uh, today. Yeah. I didn't even realize that that was a thing. Uh, yeah, like especially Bullet, which I listened to, was labeled mm-hmm. as a CCM album. I wouldn't have gotten that. At all, right? Like it's not just me. No. I it's, It went over my head. It's it very subtle. Like a lot of Christian music, as we've discussed on the podcast before, they kind of beat you over the head with it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt Carney does not. To the point where right. I still question the legitimacy of of that claim of that label, yeah. <laughs> but either way, an enjoyable listen with mm-hmm. uh, most of the way. I think sometimes the, the hip hop was a sure. little too inserted into a song that it didn't fit into. But yeah. at the same time, that's his sound, and it's definitely consistently mm-hmm. his sound. Right uh, now, uh, moving on to Young Love. This is a a different sound, but the same sound, I guess. Like, he still incorporates yeah. the hip-hop. Um, it still has pop in it, but this is a little bit more rock-influenced. Just, it's not like, oh, this is a rock album, but it's definitely, like, a little bit heavier. It goes a little bit harder with that, like, as we mentioned, like, signature Matt Carney sound of right. a mix of, like, a lilty pop vocal and then, like, some hip-hop rhythmic beats at times uh and it's enjoyable i enjoyed it it's this one is not labeled as a christian contemporary music so mm-hmm. i again i have no idea where that came from uh but this this one is a little bit more of the same but done in a better way showing kind of the growth of the artist to me Sure, yeah, and I will say this album had two more songs that I already knew and liked going in, which were the first two tracks, uh, Hey Mama and Ships in the Night, which I would say is probably his most recognizable song. Um, it is a goal. It did go gold, along with a few Let others. me be clear. I have heard zero of these songs. That's wild. Um, I, I had I knew, I knew no several, idea actually. who Matt Carney was before yeah. this. Uh, go figure. Um, but I, I mostly agree. Like He's got some diversity to his tunes for that singer songwriter um overall style uh i think one thing and i'm not even necessarily saying it as a critique or that it makes it bad is and this is going to carry over as i move into the next album uh this album is definitively one that i can pinpoint in 2011 you hear this Very album, you're like the style of production and and again, like that does not make same with the dave clark five doesn't make the songs bad at all like you can still very much enjoy them but like you can hear the context of when this came out without needing to be told it's Um, the same it's the same thing like you can tell when like panic at the disco stuff came out to talk you know sure just to think of an artist from the 2000s who comes across a little dated like early Mm -hmm. panic at the disco you could definitely tell when that came out you could still enjoy it but you know Mm -hmm. when it came out and this is yeah i agree with what you're saying for matt carney here yeah and and that's going to be my main thrust with uh, January Flower here, which is uh, I still think that there are some songs on this record that are enjoyable. I still think there are times on this record when his style of writing shines through. But all I hear uh, are 
production noises and styles and electronic instruments that make it so clear that this album came out in 2021. Like, it's so different from the timbres that you get in the mix and productions of Young Love 10 years before that, like, it's it's just so clearly dating itself. Uh, and this time in a way that, like, leans way too heavily into the pop aspect of 2021. I think it was definitely his weakest showing. Um, not that I, like, hated it, but there were definitely songs that I'm just like, any pop artist could have come out with this in 2021 and it would have sounded and the music behind it would have sounded like this um for a lot of it yes okay so i had one note and my note was what happened to matt carney yeah uh because this is extremely formulaic yeah keith said the shade and it's true like it just it felt so cookie cutter compared to what Matt Carney was, because Matt Carney, like I like from his first album, he was taking a genre that is known for being cookie cutter. Pop is po- literally sure. stands That's, for popular. Yeah. Like it's mm-hmm. it is the norm. When things of, are popular, you just go for that sound and exactly. And he yeah. was taking that and subverting it slightly by being like, well, also we're throwing in these hip hop rhythms. Just enough that it sounds different to the ear, and I stand out. And right. in 2021, he he gave up on standing out and was like, I'm content to just release these atmospheric sounds. I've become this. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's a little disappointing to me as somebody who, you know, I probably wasn't adding Matt Carney to my list of artists that I'm going to listen to all the time. But it was definitely like an interesting difference maker from an artist who otherwise would just be... A pop artist. Sure. Let's grade him. Well, let's do it. So uh, even though you were not familiar with his songs, I mean, he's had a few hits. Nothing Left to Lose, Closer to Love, and Ships in the Night were all gold singles. He's had 11 of his songs chart in the top 40 on the uh, you know the adult pop airplay um, chart for whatever that's worth. Uh, so he's definitely not no one. And that is that sure. is sure. Uh, so yeah, so we're not at a point one. Are we at a one? I def. I mean, I think you are in the minority, not having heard "Chips in the Night" or "Nothing Left to Lose." Those were definitely both. Nothing hit Left songs to Lose sounds really both familiar. Charted, Hold on. Both they both charted and certified, so like they they definitely are things. We'll and I think he needs to have at least a one. I mean, he should probably be over one if you have three singles that went gold. You did have hit singles. Well. So, I can, most I can do is one point five. Oh, that that is like plenty. When I was he's at least when I was like trying to argue him into the first half of the ones. Good, like 1. I'd be okay with like a one is. three. Yeah, but I just want to give the man his respect. Wow, he um, gets it. Yeah, as he should. Uh, in terms of breadth of work, we're talking about, and this is like a it's it's seven albums, but the first two are mostly the same music. So, so it's like closer yeah, to I didn't six. mention it because I didn't go first. It's we've had this before. He released an independent first album, and then a major label picked him up, and he released a second album, and that's really his first major label debut. There's right. nothing left to lose, and it includes the songs the studio liked from the from the debut album and Correct. then some others. 
Yeah, so I might even be willing to give him like a 5.05 and then like see where the rest of it takes him, Um, which is three gold singles, I'm going to say, is close to canceling out losing any points for sales. Um, Yeah, well, yes, well, it does. And then I would just be like, where do we put him for points from there? So if we're giving it, we're starting at like a 5.1. Yeah. Almost a five point one. It'll round up, but It'll I want to see what we did for that. Point one. Um, I might give him point one. You're giving in, him... in terms of because you know that last album, I'm going to cancel out with one of the good ones, and then the other one was like, eh, I'm I'm like, but here's what I, I might give him a point zero five. If we give him a point zero five point zero five, and then I give him a point zero five, and then that rounds him up to five point one until you've made your decision, then I would feel good about that. Well, my decision is that's I'm giving him nothing. So then I think five point one is exactly where he should be. That's fine. That's 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 where I wanted this to end. Yeah, is what and I'm that's to get a at. good spot for it to end. <laughs> uh, so instrumental talent. <clears throat> he's he's a good singer. I enjoyed his voice. It's very pleasant. A little bit, a little bit typical. I mean, let's be clear. Pleasant and smooth. Without not... the hip hop sound, mm-hmm. he would sound very generic for a two thousands pop. Singer songwriter, I think the, I think the hip hop does add a little bit to it, and I'll tell you in terms of the hip hop, he's got a good flow, he's got a good rhythm. Sure, it doesn't sound absolutely out of place for right. what it is. Now he's not going to compare to like really intricate rhythmic poetic hip hop of the of the era or beyond. Like there's no way. But for nope. what it is, he does a good job and has a good flow, and yeah. it fits the genre. Right. I mean, the music is fine. The I don't think there's anything to write it's home about at average. all. It's like, yeah, it's very average. Uh, and I'd be willing to give him like a five, in between a five and a five three. I would be like closer, and I'll tell you, because there were zero moments in the instrumentals, I would almost be like, if his voice is good enough to give him a little bit over, I might just sit at a five because sure. I oh, think there, yeah. I was, there I should was... have been at least enough where like it's not like the songs that he's they're playing are difficult. Like no. they're very basic and it doesn't feel like anything's going on. Like it feels like almost anyone could come along and play those parts. Not that the, that makes them bad parts. Yeah. If that's what fits the song. I don't want to sound like I'm saying it like because it's easy, it's bad. Um, so but it definitely sit... doesn't qualify as I, I, I give him a five. Five it is. Okay, uh, songwriting. We've already talked about like what he did that was a little bit different, um, but I also think the last album hurts him because it was... It does. I mean, like, there was a time... For something like the production on an album like Young Love, I almost want to say you're not even at fault for having some things that make you sound like your era because there's so many other things involved with how the album is mixed and mastered and produced um, that are going to, like kind of give off calling cards of the era and of like especially if you're on a major label Mm -hmm. uh, and what they're trying to get out and sell but i can definitely fault him for what happened on january flower (laughs) yeah 100 percent. i mean it's it's going to be under average for me because of that honestly not too far because there was enough happening on the first two records but i'm in the fours (sighs) yeah i'm also in the fours uh not super low in the fours nope uh, I, I echo a lot of what you're saying, so I'm not going to take up the time here. And I'm I'm comfortable giving like a four or eight. And that's what is in, and we shall move on to poetic talent. It's good. 
Yeah. Most. <laughs> it's not it's nothing crazy. Um I do think it's when you're writing pop and when you're writing hip hop there is there's two very different mindsets and I think he juggles them well in song where you're getting like a good mix mm-hmm. of like lyrical pop mixed with like rhythmic poetic hip hop but I right, think right. they're both just done averagely. Sure. So maybe like it would be a 5 and then maybe melding them both together is like a 5 2 or 5 3. Five, a little two, bit of a bump for combining. You got it. Is there an X factor here that I need to know about? I have potential. Okay, I'm excited. So Matt Carney spells his name with one T. And the reason that happens is because his name was supposed to be Matthew, the typical spelling of Matthew. And the nurse who wrote it on the birth certificate misspelled it with one T. And his mother just like wrote in pen the second T after the fact. So legally, his name is Matthew with one T. T. And so he just like saw it. And then, like, really started just embracing that in his musicianship. Like, it's his legal name is Matthew with one T. So Matt with one T is actually correct. So five? Uh, Easily a five, if not a ten. Easily. Okay, I'm putting it in there. Uh, (laughs) Do you actually want any points for that or no? Uh, It's just a fun fact. I mean, it could be a point one or it could be zero. I don't care. I'm going to give him. A point one. Why not? Who cares? Why not? And then, <laughs> there we go. Well, whatever. And then I have five. I like how point ones have become the anecdotal. Uh, like, let's give them a yeah, point one because yeah, it's is fun. fun. We like it. Um, it it wasn't going to change how things shook out, so I, I figured I might as well. <laughs> um, so in third place this week, you loser. Uh, was Matt Carney with a twenty-one and a half, but a for a very... third place score. A very, very respectable good. score for, yeah, for a third place. Yes. And winning this week. I mean, do we need to? I mean, come on. Yeah. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Uh, it was sticks with a 33.2. Yeah, it felt pretty early on it that was we sticks. were going to have yeah. sticks be winning in Correct. this one. Yeah. Uh, Dave Clark 5 came in the middle with a 26.7. So overall, yeah. like there was a clear 1, 2, 3, but... Above average for where one, two, and three might usually be for us, sure. So that's pretty good. This is definitely one of the ones where, on average, this could end up being one of the higher episodes of the season. Sure. Like when yeah, we yeah. go in and tally the average, like that's one of the things that I do, and it's it's it'll be interesting because a lot of the time when we have an artist like when we did like Eagles in mm-hmm. the previous season, like we had a like a bad group in that. I forget who it was. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but, I don't think we did, because Eagles, we did, did we Tedeschi not? Trucks, and Ooh, I think Fallout no, Boy. Right. So I think they were all oh, like maybe not. Pointers. Maybe I'm not thinking Eagles then. I was thinking of we did. We definitely did one where it got really yeah lower. I know what you mean. Oh, uh, we did Led Zeppelin and Gwen Stefani solo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Time. That's what, that's what you're thinking. Not, not Eagles. Uh, Tedeschi Trucks. Yeah. Did I tell you that uh, I almost got to see them? You did. Oh, Very so heartbreaking that I didn't get to see them. I know. Stupid R band having a stupid gig on the stupid. I day. know. I hate us. <laughs> All right. Well, that's Roll gonna wrap off, us up uh, for next week, Pat. Yeah. Who's uh, this next? This is the last thing. Uh, this is exciting. I don't know who I want to say. I'm gonna say we're gonna cover the White Stripes next week. Oh, yeah. That that baseline that just hit your head, which actually baseline. What are you talking base. about? There's no such thing as bass in the White Stripes. I know. That's what I was saying. But everybody, you, you ruined my you ruined my entire Sorry. thing. I'm sorry, there's bass drum. 
I'm leaving. Goodbye. Yeah, so that's going to wrap us up for this episode, y'all. Thanks for hanging out with us. And uh, please come back next week. Please hang out with us more. We miss you. We enjoy seeing your face. Uh, hopefully you enjoy seeing our faces. And uh, if you are, uh, please like, comment, subscribe. Check out this video on YouTube. And uh, most importantly, have a great day. <laughs>